0: Why do people in general choose stability over change in life? I feel like this is a question posed to the whole earth, right? All of society, whether whatever country you're in, whatever town, etc. People, people don't like change because what change requires is for you to open up, is for you to let your ego be bruised in that moment, for you to face times of uncertainty. It takes overwhelming courage. AOA, that's a triple play. New What is going on ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, welcome back to the AOA show. I'm your host as always, Ian, along with the boy, Azio. Yo, yo, yo. And today we are hitting you with more TOG content, this time part two of our question and answer series, I guess I'm calling this. Uh, We're covering chapters or episodes rather 251 to 259. Um, If you haven't seen part one to this video, you definitely want to go check that out. It is up on our channel. But we took some of the questions that did not make it into the top seven today. We took an additional five questions from some of the other folks that incorporated And uh, pitch their questions to us. So today we're going to read through those and give you our thoughts on them. So if you guys like the content today, you like what it is you see, make sure you guys are liking, subscribing, hitting that notification bell so you don't miss any future videos, sharing with your friends, because the more the merrier, and commenting your thoughts down below. What did you think of our discussion? What did you think of our answers? What did you think of the questions? What are your thoughts on Tower of God as a whole? But anyway, without further ado, let's hop into it. Isaiah, if you wouldn't mind, uh, taking the first question.
1: Alright, so the first question is from Emperor Dark North. He says, Does the fact that Yurik trusted Heljo with the Red Thresha show that he is either reckless with his actions or someone who trust someone who trusts and is willing to see the good in people? Um kind of similar to question we had in our uh initial our first part of this. Um, you know, at least as far as delving into Yurik and Heljo's relationship and what what it says about Yurik's character. Um I don't know. I personally think that it's a little bit, I don't know. I guess it could be a little bit of both. I personally think it's a little bit more of the reckless um, side of things, but like, so like your would probably claim that like, he's, you know, and, and does even have a line, I think to Gustang where he's like, no, I'd rather, or I forget the line, but it's something along the lines of like, I only, I only like, I'm willing, I'm, the kind of person who's like willing to see the good in everybody or everybody deserves to, to have good seen in them. Excuse me. And then, um, he has another line to, I don't know if it's like to bomb or like it's during the fight with hell Joe where he's like, um, everybody with lofty kinds of goals, especially ones that are like admirable and commendable should be given the power to like back up those goals, so to speak. Um, which I think you could certainly see as Yurik being a very trusting person and somebody who's willing to see the good in everybody, even if they don't deserve it. Um, (laughs) However, like I said in our part one, it is pretty much nothing but reckless to give that kind of power to somebody that doesn't have your level of a moral compass and expect, and and, and just expect, like, again, it would have been one thing if he was like, I'm going to give you this power, and then I'm going to train you on how to use it, and, like, while I'm teaching you how to use it, I'm also going to teach you, like, the things you shouldn't do with like use it for, or, or like if somebody was there to guide him so he didn't get corrupted. Right. Cause people don't just like, you know, as pessimistic as it sounds, just choose to do right nine out of 10 times all when they're all by themselves. Right. They need guidance. They need tutelage or, or whatever the word is. Um, so again, I- in the vein of like what we talked about with Yurek and, and, and these high ranker uh, type characters just kind of have this like disconnect. Right. again, I, I, have, I, I 100% believe that Yurik had nothing but good intentions. But good intentions can do some of the worst things in the world. So I do th- ultimately think that it was reckless, especially to just drop the head on someone like Hell Joe and then dip and expect everything to turn out fine. But that's part of the, you know, that's part of the, the character flaw, at least for me, is that like, you have to like, follow up on your, on your decisions and, and like, you, you thinking something's going to go fine is not the same as like, it going fine. And so that's, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mirror a lot of the points that Isaiah had said, and I think adding on to the, you know, endowing so much power to someone that you don't think has the same moral compass, I would even wager to say that has never had the same power, which is basically what you had intertwined within that um, assertion there. You know, hell Joe just comparatively is an ant compared to Yurik in terms of power. So even if his actions or his motives seem noble in the beginning uh, you might be surprised at how much those could be warped. Your perspective can change once you have a little bit of a taste of what it is to be powerful, right? To rule over these people with an iron fist and and to be able to sway their their emotions and their actions through that overwhelming power could have had very noble beginnings. But once you're given that and it's just like so quickly, like think of all the people, kind of funny analogy, but like all the people, the, the stories you hear, are people winning the lottery, of like that have been like dirt poor for their whole lives and how their lives are literally destroyed not that they were doing fantastic beforehand who knows each one's a different case but the point is is that they are entrusted with so much money so quickly they don't even know how to use it is the point right and while hell joe definitely had a pretty firm grip on those powers at least when we see him when bomb and company arrive um he knows how to use them and such he more importantly, doesn't fully understand the implication of having that power and the responsibility that comes with it to make the better decision. And I think that is what ultimately leads to his downfall. And ultimately, where Yurik was ignorant in that regard, because as far as we know, Yurik has never been weak, weak in that, in that, you know, in that same sense. So definitely a disconnect there. Um, so I, I think it was a bit of ignorance, and I think Yurik had some optimistic intentions but unfortunately they just didn't turn out the way that he wanted them to so is what it is but anyway getting into question two comes from Anne again this one just had so many upvotes as compared to some of the other ones that felt that we had to add it again um but Anne says why do you think everyone in uh fod floor of death death, uh floor of death chose stability over change by choosing grand family kid instead of hell joe who promised uh, them to give them freedom. Was Joe trying to impose his ideals by thinking that everyone wanted to leave the floor of death? That's the other reason I chose the question actually, because I thought it was very interesting. Personally, I, I think it raises a again one of those moral dilemmas that I love getting into, and one of those things where it's like, well, what is right, what is wrong, etc. And this is sort of this kind of ties into the question that we had um, in our part one of this discussion about Gustang's choice to wipe the memories of these people and then bomb trying to have him all let them leave and him being like, you're naive, et cetera. I think it, it kind of intertwines with this, but, um, but just breaking out the question here, why do you think everyone in the floor of death chose stability over change? Um, I mean, why do people in general choose stability over change in life? I feel like this is a question posed to the whole earth, right? All of society, whether whatever country you're in, whatever town, et cetera, people people don't like change because what change requires is for you to open up, is for you to let your ego be bruised in that moment, for you to face times of uncertainty. It takes overwhelming courage. And to be honest, stability a lot of times equals safety. Uh, It equals security. It equals you not having to go through any sort of, crazy rigmarole in order to get to that next stage. And that's why I think, you know, change is is good, but there are people that that are very adamantly opposed to it, some more than others, and especially if it's extreme. You know, there's so many cases throughout history when, you know, somebody, um, there's, you know, been examples of someone who would come up with some great invention or something like that. And the Kings or Queens of that time would have them executed for it and they wouldn't even give it to the public. And why, you know, because what that does is it it changes, (laughs) it it ruptures the stability that the, that nation once had it, you know, makes people that seem very powerful seem maybe a little more insignificant in those, in those, uh, in those ways. And it's not something easy to do. So I relate this. I think this relate, it correlates exactly to real life as to why they didn't want it. It's what they're used to. It's what they're used to having for this long, and they don't know anything else. So they don't want to take the time to be out in that ter- in that unknown territory, that unexplored, right? Um, and, and I think there's – there. I understand why. You know, I get it. Stability would most of the time, I would assume, be the default to most people. I, I would wager that it is. Um, but yeah, I understand why, um, they do it. And I don't, I don't, I, I guess the, the real question would be why would more people choose change? Right. And those that takes a, uh, you know, take some, some brave souls to do that because it's freedom is not easy. <laughs> it's not easy at all. But anyway, uh, second part of this question says, was Joe trying to impose his ideals by thinking everyone wanted to leave the floor of death? Uh, I do, I do think that he was trying to impose his ideals. And I think this again, correlates to our question in part one where Baum was trying to impose his ideals and then gustang trying to impose his ideals etc right um the the vote was cast and i mean i expressed my thoughts in this in part one that just because the vote was cast doesn't necessarily mean that everyone was for that uh hell joe is a prime example right most of the people wanted to stay but that doesn't mean everyone did um but i do think joe trying to get everyone to leave is the same kind of conundrum we find ourselves in when bomb then requests it of Gustang where not everyone wants to leave. So I do think he's imposing those ideals on him. Um, he could be like, wow, how are you guys not seeing this, etc." But the point is, is that a lot of these people have chosen and the vast majority of them have chosen. And unfortunately you don't really get to play God in that, you know, in that, in that situation and be like, you guys are leaving whether you like it or not. Right. Um, It just is what it is. People, people can be stubborn and people can be locked in a certain (laughs) way of thinking. And sometimes you just have to understand that, you know, they're going to be in that way of thinking. So rather not wasting your time on that, but working on yourself and maybe the people that do agree with you or wanted to leave and prioritizing that instead of everyone as a whole, like all or nothing. But those are my thoughts on the matter personally.
1: Um, so for the first part, uh, I do – I'm not going to go into it too hard because you basically said everything that needs to be said. Um, but, yeah, it, it's kind of hard to expect people that have that don't know anything else to want something else. Um, and if change – if freedom is change but nobody knows what freedom is like, why would anybody request freedom? You know what I mean? So, of course, you know – and, again, there were people, you know, if this was – down to like a a vote and the claim is that the majority voted to stay that does mean that there were some people who voted to leave and one I guess can only surmise from that that their specific conditions were so terrible that even not knowing what's on the outside they were like it's got to be better than this um you know which again makes sense and it speaks more to the their conditions in the floor of death really as opposed to what they care about or even want on the outside world because they don't, again, they have just as little knowledge as anybody else who's on the floor of death. So it just means that the people who are on the floor of death and are choosing to stay are either so comfortable and so stable in their, you know, in their rut or in their, their life, their way of living on the floor of death, that the idea of changing means that like, maybe it just means independence. Maybe it means like they'd have to be on their own. Maybe it means that they'd have to learn to provide for, other people or what have you. Um, I mean, there's so many reasons, especially with, again, like the main thing is that they don't, they don't know anything else. They don't, you know, it's like we, I said in part one, like the second as a person you are exposed to like different environments, like that's when you're exposed to different people. And that's when you're exposed to different ways of thinking. You don't grow as a person just by like taking in oxygen and existing. You grow by like, li- like learning and listening to other people's ways of thinking, watching other people do things different ways, and, like, that's how your horizon expands. But if you don't get that, you don't just change. You, and so by proxy, you wouldn't want change. Why would you You re- like, you know, why would you request something that you don't know anything about? So that's really all there is for that. Um, and then, again, yeah, was Joe trying to impose his ideals by thinking everyone should leave the Floyd death? Yeah, it's the same thing as, as the bomb scenario where, you know, there's just – it, 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 I think it looks a little bit more. It's looked at in a little bit more of an evil light, at least by the people of the floor of death, because the majority ruled to stay. So, even though people like Joe and Bomb are advocating for everybody to have freedom, they are actively uh, enforcing, trying to enforce their will on a minority rule. Which, like again, to say the majority wants to leave doesn't mean everybody wants to leave. But if you pu- if the system you're using is a voting system, people are going to be a lot more pissed if you. If you orchestrate a voting system and then the minority gets the, you know, so it's like, wait a minute, what the fuck? Like that doesn't even make any sense. So I think that's that's really all there is to that. But like, yeah, it's just the flip reverse of of people uh like Gustang. So yeah. For shizzle. Um alright, so next question is. Next question is from Sad Sparkles. He says, What are your thoughts on destiny as one of the driving factors in TOG? i.e. Arlene saying that bombs' destiny is to be jihad, people not being able to escape from the floor of death because of destiny, guides seeing people's paths, except for irregulars because they walk their own paths, etc. How do these two groups of people, those who surrender and are passive to destiny and those who try to change it, affect the tower from what we've seen? Um, So first of all, what what are my thoughts on destinies being the driving factors? Uh, I think it's very interesting because when you think about it, like... when, when you think about it, I guess there's there's valid claims, at least in my mind, to both sides, right? You could claim that, like, oh, yeah, that, like, you know, it makes sense that destiny is a driving force here because, like, with somebody like Jihad, who has uh, instilled himself in such a role in the tower, like, it's, you know, anybody can't just roll up there and, and knock him off his throne. Like, it, we need, like, you know, we need the one person. Cause, you know, we know, A, he has a literal contract uh, of immortality with the administrators, so, you know, we can't just, like, roll up and, like, stab him with a a regular sword. Like, it's not going to work. But two, just his power level alone, even getting him to that state where you could kill him, um, isn't going to work. Like, it's going to take a very specific kind of person, somebody who's not bound by the rules of the tower where Jihad has, you know, implanted his his kingdom and his empire into, i.e. an irregular, i.e. somebody like Bomb. Um, So, yeah, in that light, you could be like, well, yeah, Destiny does make sense as a driving force because, like, you know, Bomb, like... It just the fact that we need a specific kind of person to break these rules, you know, in in and of itself sort like speaks to like a, a, you know, a version or or a realm of fate that's required to to, you know, dethrone Jihad and sort of like move this story or or the tower in a different direction. Um, But I would argue that like on the flip side, you know, it's interesting to like consider when you consider fate as a driving force for the story, Jihad wasn't fated to become king. Right. He took that shit. He made he literally he's not even on the final floor of the tower. He stopped everything, made a contract with the administrator. Get uh, got contracts with all the 10 heads, had them establish their own like sort of hierarchy system here, built this whole, you know, contest or, or group or whatever you want to call it with the Princess of Jihad and built a civilization, built a whole society all throughout the tower. And that, that wasn't, he wasn't su- supposed to do that, right? And when we talk about fate, like, that's the main, at least to me, thing is like, oh, it, was this supposed to happen? Were things supposed to turn out this way? And I mean, no, Jod wasn't supposed to do that. He wasn't supposed to, uh, you know, sort of go nuts and, and berserk when Arlene turned him down and chose V. Um, he wasn't supposed to kill her bait. Like, none of that, none of this, none of the story that's happened to now was supposed to happen. So it's weird to be like, Oh, well, it's fate. I mean, I guess you could say that, like, Jihad making those choices, fate has now dictated that eventually somebody has to come and put him in his place, so to speak, which, again, I.E. would be someone like Bomb. Um, But, again, that would also, to me, imply that, like, just by Bomb existing and coming into the tower, he's like, I know what I got to do. I'm here for a reason. I'm here for a purpose. But we know that that's not, at least, you know, right now. That's not where bomb's mindset is. And it, it never really has been. He has, this is the, f- the, f- the floor of death. And I would even argue the last arc, the, you know, the ending of the last, or or no, I would say mainly this arc is the first time we really see him consider like fighting for that higher purpose or, or fighting for a cause, so to speak the whole time that we've known this character up until then, he has adamantly shot away from that stuff. And he's like, no, I don't. Yeah. Jihad is doing all this fucked up stuff and it sucks, but like, I, why is, I'm not, you know, I'm not like he says it, you know, a whole bunch of I'm not your God. This isn't my problem to fix. I'm not, I shouldn't be the sole one responsible. Like I have my own friends and I, I would just want them to be safe. And I, I want to live my life. I want to like, see if I can reconcile things with Rachel whatever. So just that, like. Free will, if you know that's what you want to call it, implies again. And I think sort of puts a wrench in this idea of like all of this stuff is fated to happen. And I don't know. It gets a little semantic, I guess, when you break it down that much. Because then it's like, okay, well, is Baum, you know, regardless of his feelings, is he destined to face and defeat Jahan? And then, like, eh, I don't know. I, I guess my thoughts on it, to be honest, are I think it's a good um, driving force for the story because it is something that can be so you know contested, and it is something that can be so juxtaposed against like the the you know the differing side. Um, And the next next part of the question, how do these two groups of people, those who surrender and are passive to destiny and those who try to change it, affect the tower we've seen? So I do think that one of the other reasons this, you know, archetype, whatever you want to call it, is such a good way, you know, is such a good thing to have in this story is that clearly, and and we, again, this was something we touched on in part one with a question about uh, Rachel and her conversation with Dele, which I believe his name is, um, about you know, where, where she has this claim, or, you know, b- because D'Ali is obviously with the people on the floor of death. He's like, oh, yeah, we've been waiting for our savior. Like, he's fated to come and save us from, the, you know, from this nightmare of Hell Joe and all that stuff and kill all these people who can't be killed. Um, and Rachel's like, nah, fuck that noise. Like, you know, you're out here worrying about destiny. Like, just do what you want and, and, and worry about yourself and get yourself, uh, you know, ahead. And what's interesting about this kind of, you know, plot device is it does directly sort of tie into the idea of regulars and irregulars in the tower, right? Regulars are the people who I would say are the former in this part of the question where it's like, they do surrender themselves a lot of time passively to this idea of like, well, this is the way of the tower. This is the way things are going to be. I just got to try and keep myself alive as much as possible, or I got to do my best to get ahead and get as high in the tower as possible because maybe I'll, I'll get, a break or maybe I'll, you know, whatever. Um, But irregulars don't. They don't confine themselves to a a fate or a destiny, which is ironic because they're the ones usually tied in the most to this idea of like fate. Like an irregular is fated, you know, are the only people fated to bring change to the tower. But by definition, these are people who don't play by the rules and they're not confined to the same restrictions that regulars are and they can do whatever they want in the tower. They don't have to listen to administrators. They don't have to, um, you know, they're not confined by the same power restrictions that uh, regulars are. And they're one of the only people that can actively and adamantly challenge the actual, you know, the systematic structure part of this tower, which is Jihad and his empire. So it's interesting that, you know, I I think a lot of the people who are, you know, surrender themselves passively to destiny, at least in terms of the tower here are your regulars and the the people who don't really change the tower, at least directly. However, as we see with a lot of Bomb's friends who are the regulars, um, it doesn't mean that that's impossible, right? Because again, I don't think, I don't believe that like everybody's story in this tower is tied to a specific destiny where it's like if a regular, at the end of the day, the regulars still have, I mean, some of them still have choice. They still have the will to choose whether they're going to go here or not. And and a lot of, that's a lot of Bomb's friends, right? They Bomb as an irregular, doesn't have the restrictions necessarily to be like, oh, well, can I do this? Can I do that? Because he kind of has a, a break in that he can do most things that he sets his mind to. Um, but when we're talking about, you know, Kuhn, Dorsey Shibasu Hots, like all of his, his group here, again, and some of them have varying degrees of easy, w- would have a very varying degrees of an easier time doing this, but they're not like, they're the regulars here, right? They're the ones that have to be like, you know what? I think I like, despite, you know, despite the the obvious drawbacks, like I am going to sign up with Bomb. I am going to follow him and I am going to, do my part to either help him change the tower or change the tower because we know and like it's, it's what we want. Um, Yeah. I definitely think it's, it's interesting. I definitely think thematically it all sort of ties into what this story is talking about.
0: Yeah. I mean, you hit all the points on the head, so I won't, I won't hammer it any more than it needs to go. But yeah, I, I find it interesting that to me that regulars, are the manifestation of people tied by destiny in my personal take and irregulars are the people although said that they are fated to do something at least within the confines of the tower seem to be that they are not right they are they are agents of free will and i think that's i think that's what the power of irregulars, like that's part of the power that irregulars have, I feel, is not necessarily their overwhelming strength. And now, to be fair, the ones that come in the tower, I may sound very ignorant when I say that because they're all actually super powerful, but I mean it more on a, on a metaphysical sense here that it's like, I feel like part of what gives them their power is the element of choice in that, right? That they're able to do that. And that's what makes these people envy them revere them think all sorts of things about them because even the regulars that are part of the great families and all that kind of stuff they all have like this role that they think they have to play and so it's very interesting when you see characters that are influenced by these irregulars to now take a step off of the ever gone down path here right and you have people like your coons and such that are foregoing their original plans um to go with someone like bomb Um, but at the same time, I also find it interesting, the characters, uh, let's take Kuhn again, for example, who are kind of tied to this whole destiny thing, but, and are regulars, but actually try and go against the grain even before an irregular comes in, in the sense that he's, you know, he was willing to betray his family, he's doing all this kind of crazy stuff, whereas a lot of regulars are, are, you know, take, um, Elaine, you know, for example, who mm. I would say is the complete opposite in that regard until an irregular comes, that force of change, um, you know, comes to them. So I think destiny and, you know, uh, determinism and fatalism and all that kind of stuff, like they all play huge roles within the confines of this story. And that's what I feel like it's almost like a metaphor, the regulars and irregulars for that. It's like those who go against it, those who go for it. But I guess what I i'm curious about is that at the end of the story where we end up if these irregulars wound up playing a part in their destiny all along in which case did anyone really have a choice right or if like the change that they perceive was just you know it it wasn't really change it was that it was destined to happen and i think that's very interesting um leading up to where we are now in the story and where we go from here i don't know pretty interesting stuff so yeah mind blown but Anyway, moving on to the next question here um, is by a big dumbass. You know the drill. He says, knowing that the data of young Jihad is in the hidden floor and him being an irregular, do you think Bomb can be compared to him when they were at the same stage of development? Yeah, this is a very interesting question. I like it because this is something that we were talking about. Okay, where does Bomb Stack up against Jihad is Mm. Gustang putting his faith in him justly so or is it like, you know, I think this is going to be a real telltale sign here if they do go head to head or if they interact with each other or whatever. Um, but also at the same time, the more I think about it, the more I think that potentially they will not meet and will not fight for that exact reason, because then it might lead the audience on to thinking that it's like, oh, okay, well, if bomb beat him here. That means that like, we got this in the bag once he gets to that level or if jihad, does it like it? it sets up like this weird expectation. I almost think that it might be better if they don't fight. So it's like, you're still left in the dark as to who is actually at a better level at that point. Um, and maybe it's just through seeing the acts that Jihad does. If he does anything within this arc to other people that maybe bomb has gone up against in the past or certain friends of his. And it's like not necessarily knowing where he stacks might add a little bit more mystery to the story, but I'm curious to see either way. Um, uh, it says, do you think bomb could be compared to him when they were at the same state?" Yeah. yeah, yeah. Basically. Yeah. What I was saying, sorry. Rereading the question there. I think he, I think this is, if anything, the best indicator personally. Um, I don't know a better one, <laughs> at least at this point, it's like, here's my last save point, you know, my checkpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have now progressed this far in the game. I'm exactly where you were. Like, I think that's a pretty good gauge as to as you know, who is uh, who's where in terms of power and stuff like that. But I don't know if you had any other thoughts. Um, so
1: I actually think that it would be interesting if he does meet and have to fight young Jihad, um, on the hidden floor, not necessarily because I guess of the technical element of like, oh, I wonder power scaling wise where they stack up. If bomb is equated to young Jihad at that stage is equal. Um, but I think it would be very interesting again, because I, I like one of the things that I love about tower of God is how it handles its protagonist in the sense that like bomb is, is, Portrayed as this very headfast, you know, very steadfast, strong, you know, almost naive uh, believer of like equality and justice and like giving everybody their due diligence and and their chance to, you know, go after whatever it is they want, right, right, chase their dreams, so to speak. Um, but th- this story never once paints that as like the overwhelming best decision ever, like ten out of ten times. Um, Again, just in the discussion we've had here and in this whole arc with this conversation with Gustang is sort of the point that that nails that home, which is that like just because you want something and just because you think something is the best decision doesn't make it the best decision. Right. Again, you are just one person. And, you know, I would be I would be remiss in saying that just because you believe something, you know, that kind of that way of thinking is very dangerous and can lead to the kind of mindset that we know another person once had at your stage. I think it'd be interesting if bomb actually does meet young Jihad and faces him and finds out that they were literally the exact same person. I think mm-hmm. it would actually shake his character up a little bit because I would wager to guess that, you know, hopefully upon that interaction, his next question is, well, what the fuck happened to this guy? We were literally the same person down to the, the techniques and our way of thinking. This guy was like looking in a mirror. So I, I, w- I would love to see that interaction and I would love to see how shaken up he gets by it because, again, one of the things that we've sort of always floated around as an idea in this story is the idea of Bomb turning into a villain or how close he dances on this line because he's not actually this... Li- I mean, Baum is a good guy and he's a good character, but Baum is not this white knight. He's not this, like ever bringer of justice and the one who n- always knows the right thing to do, because that's, again, that's complicated. There, that is, there is no such thing. Every, at the end of the day, everybody has their own biases and perspectives. And so it'd be interesting to see young Jihad thinking the exact same way bomb does now. And it's like, well, wait a minute, this guy who is literally a carbon copy basically of me is the one who caused every, all these problems I've heard about. This is the guy who goes on to run this, you know, empire and, and, you know, oppress and, and kill and, and, you know, distort this, this world and this tower, like what happened? And like, does that mean like that I'm next? You know what I mean? I, I'd love like for that sort of psychological element to play into this. Um, so personally, I, I would like to see them meet and fight. I could see them doing a thing where it's like, they don't because, you know, just in terms of SIU thinking for power scaling, like you don't, like you were saying, you don't you don't want, I guess, the audience being like, oh, pfft, all right, so Bombs, he's good. Once he gets to Jihad, like, who killed him? Although, I will say, even in that element, though, there is still a lot of time gap between the hidden floor and where Jihad is now. So who's to say that even if they are equivalent right now, that, you know, we don't know how many more power bumps Bomb is going to get between now and meeting Jihad. We don't know how many more power bumps Jihad got between the hidden floor and being the king of the tower. So, you know, I do think there's still uh, enough room of mystery to be like, well... He stacks up now, but we, uh, we got a, a bit to go before we get to Jihad now, so, you know, I don't know, but uh, to be honest, I like I said, I am just more interested in, like, what this could or, or would do to Bomb mentally, because I think Bomb's mental development as a character is something that I personally really latched onto recently, because I love the fact that he's not just like this, you know, you know, this Naruto in a sense, where it's like, because I think it, it is, it is Will, <laughs> it is the right thing to do all the time. It's like, no, your way of thinking should be challenged and questioned, and, and, again one of these int- most interesting parallels with this story is if you think about characters like bomb and think about characters like wang nan in a way they're both the main character of this story right but the difference here is that one of them has the power to to back up so to speak their their the words that they in the things they preach and the things they want and the other doesn't which is why a when wang nan does do those things it's all the more impressive at least to me because he doesn't have the skills to fight off anybody who says otherwise all he has is his will right and that alone has stayed steadfast and true but bombs hasn't it's it's been shaken a little bit and we know especially after the whole incident with yeon and the bridge and stuff like bomb has had moments where he's like i have all this power like why don't i just make everybody happy and it's like hold on man like because you know like the god of guardian says like there was another person who thought that same thing and now he's the king of the tower so it's like i love this idea that bomb is ever so you know steadily like on this gray line and like at, you know, any moment, any meeting, any interaction could end up creating another jihad.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think you said it well, honestly. So I think we have one question left. Yeah. So if you uh, want to take it away, go for it.
1: Our last question is from Keaton237. He says, Gustang tells Mazzino that what Graham will want from Yurik is, death, is the death of jihad, and we know Yurik wants to escape from the tower, so why hasn't he done it yet? And he probably knows that to escape from the tower, he will have to get the key, so why hasn't he done it yet? Why has Yurik kept the Jihad and the Ten Family bubble still intact? I <laughs> think this question is like, why hasn't Yurik done anything? Yet? <laughs> um, so, uh, so I don't know. This was this was definitely interesting to be honest, and I was thinking about this a lot in our read through, and I was coming up blank because my only th- the only sentiment I can think of is is I did find it odd that Yurik was somebody who seemed so steadfast in wanting uh, Garum's approval and and wanting her her you know you know whether it's just for companionship or otherwise. Um, so it's interesting that if the one thing she would probably request of him, or it's interesting that he knows the one thing that she would want from him and that that's the one thing he wouldn't want to do. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, okay, Yerick, well, if you're the if you're the kind of guy who claims to be, you know, who, who plays yourself as the hero, if you're the guy who has no problem coming in here and saving people, you know, when they're, you know, in need or whatever, um, I can't think of a better dude to go punch in the head than Jihad himself because lots of people need saving from Jihad, everybody, I would argue, um, you know, except the other 10 family heads. So, or even them, I mean, you know, Yurik's made it a point where like, just in meeting Gustang, he's like, oh, you, it's you. Like, you know, you're one of the 10 family heads. But again, there was there, the reaction he had was not what I thought it was going to be, which was like blinding, like, yo, we're scrapping up. Let's go. We're fighting right now just because of who he is. Um, but again, that's not what happened. Yurik almost has this hesitation to actually go up and knock on Jihad's door or even one of these 10-family heads door as much as we know he probably could. So then the question, yeah, why doesn't he? The only thing that comes to my mind is if somebody has the power to do this but doesn't, it's because, like, they don't want to. <laughs> and I know that sounds like kind of a simple answer, but, like, I don't think Yurik cares enough about what – I I don't know if it's necessarily that Yurik doesn't care enough about what that kind of altercation would bring to then go and do it, or rather the people who are suffering because he's not, but again, we do have established that there is kind of this disconnect between the way high-rankers think and view the world versus how regulars view it, and so, you know, perhaps it's this, it's this idea that, like, Yurik doesn't, Yurik just doesn't understand, like, what it, to someone like Yurik, to not go fight Jihad or the Ten Families, it just means don't fight an opponent who's probably, like, at or around your level. Um, but to regulars, it means liberating them, quite literally. It means freeing them and, and and you know, opening up their lives to, you know, a chance of, of redemption. Um, so maybe there's just a disconnect there, although that feels a little shaky at best. I don't know. I think there's something to be said that, like, Yurik... Perhaps, like, Yurik doesn't... Yurik does not strike me as you know, the kind of guy who wants to be the leader, right? We even know that in Wohawk's Song, he vehemently chose to be, I believe it's called, like it was the lieutenant or the vice pr- or, uh, commander or whatever, basically like the the secondary, posi- you know, somebody who's high enough to basically go around and do whatever he wants, but he doesn't actually take on the leader role. And I think this claim is made in the story to imply that Yurik is not the kind of guy who like would like, staple, like, you know, fug, like I fight for the freedom and liberation of people on his chest. um, Which I think is ironic because he has a tattoo of Woolhawk Song on his back, but that's my point, is I think a lot of Yurik's visual flair is just that, it's for show. Yurik, I don't think, I think the difference between Yurik and Bomb, while they are irregulars and both people that are destined with power, Bomb, I think, is somebody who will ultimately grow up wanting to fight for a cause and wanting to fight for like a purpose that's larger than himself, where while Yurik might be swayed to join that fight, Yurik is not the kind of guy that's going to lead that charge. Because to be honest, if he is, there's literally no reason why he hasn't done that already. He's had a disgusting amount of time in the tower by himself to do any of that with anybody, you know? Um, so I, I do think that like, because of those things, it, it at least to me, it feels like he just like, that's not Yurik. You know what I mean? It's not in his character to be somebody who's like, you know what? What? I want this fight that's bigger than me. I mean, even, again, in the way that we see him interacting the floor of death, to me, comes off as like this guy who loves being the hero, you know, for the lady or, or for that group of people or, or coming in when people, like he doesn't, it's almost like he doesn't see the big picture, right? If he flies around to these different floors and saves these people, he's doing good and he's being a hero, not realizing, though, that like if you went a little bit ahead and, and thought a little bit like, you know, beyond that, and went after Jihad or some of these 10 families, like, then you're systematically breaking down any of those problems from happening ever. You know what I mean? So uh, at least that's that's my two cents.
0: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, I mirror a lot of the points in the sense that Yurik doesn't seem like the – guy who wants to be leading the charge per se. Um, When it comes to like a full scale group, he kind of seems to just do his own thing and do what he deems is right. It's not that he doesn't like being a hero and being a leader are two different things. I think Um, although some of the things intersect. So I, I do agree with that one. I also think too, that it's, you know, I don't know if he could just roll up and do it to be honest, either, even if he wanted to, we know Yurik is super strong, but like, So is Jihad. I feel like if anyone were to have a pretty toe-to-toe match, it'd be those two. And not to mention, Jihad has a lot of the the leaders from the 10 great families on his side. And while Yurik might be more powerful than them in scale, it couldn't be... I don't know how astronomical it is, right? Like, these guys are pretty close to Jihad in power level. And if Jihad is close to Yurik, etc., you get my point. Like, he needs a whole group. He needs an army, I think, to go up there. And then he fights him... 1v1 I I just don't know if he's ready willing able to do that right the Wolhack song like I don't know how big that group is um how adamant they are what their actual goals are with that if this is him amassing an army to eventually be like okay this is our way of trying to stage a coup here I don't know I think in the meantime though he's doing his thing and while he definitely you know goes around like the big doofus or whatever, um, that he kind of projects. Uh, he's not complete. He's not dumb. I don't think he's dumb. SIU even says it in his blog. So I'm sure there's some sort of reason that he has, whether it's okay. I don't want to go and destabilize this now, because to be honest, I don't think I have the, the brains or the, or the know-how or anything to know how to run this. Like once that happens, um, maybe there's something that we're missing entirely you know, I don't know. I think that there are a lot, there's definitely some sort of reason that's yet to be explained. I would assume it's yet to still be explained where the current chapters are. Otherwise this question might not be posed or maybe it would be, maybe you're trying to get our uh, predictions now, but I don't know. There's some, there's something going on. And he said, and Yurik said that he was coming in to chase, to chase someone down. He said he was coming in after someone, I think. And I don't know if he specifically, I know Uh, comments have told me who he's chasing after but I don't know if it says it in the thing so I won't say it um but he's coming after someone and he followed someone in here so that person's that person's goals or no they have said it the Fantasium guy yeah so and apparently Fantasium has come if that's how you pronounce his name has come up to Jihad's door before and literally talked to him but didn't kill him but didn't do anything so what's the deal with that? You know what I mean? Like there must be something that Uric's going after, and it's like, well, Fantasium. Like if this guy that I'm maybe looking up to or chasing behind or whatever didn't do anything, then like there's a reason for it, or I don't know yeah, if they're yeah. in communication, but I don't know. Maybe,
1: maybe it's even a thing of like, uh, sort of like what you were saying, where like you know Fantasium and and Uric, while they've seen the door and they've seen like the way out or the final ball, so to speak, they're like, okay, but what happens after that, like? once jihad's gone who's like who's gonna run this thing does somebody need to run this thing it like that whole you know um question of you know it's kind of like you know the fairy tale ending where like the evil tyrant king uh you know oppresses the masses and then the hero comes and kills the king and everybody's happy and it's like okay everybody's happy today (laughs) but like tomorrow when like a new structural system needs to be put in place or whatever like what happens then? Yeah. How many people stay happy? What do you do after the curtain rolls, so to speak? And, like, I think as powerful as these beings are, again, power does not by itself warrant you, does not give you and does not warrant you the ability to just make change, especially change for the better, right? We see that on a smaller scale just in this conversation with Yurik and Joe. Just because Yurik is this all-powerful person doesn't mean he's just going to bring good to people. I mean, what if, like, picture King Yurik, for a second, you, you know, up there doing his thing or whatever, and maybe he occasionally comes down to the, all the different floors. Picture him doing what he did with Hell Joe, but on a larger scale. There'd be Hell Joes on every fucking floor. And it's like, so again, you don't need just somebody with Yurik's kind of power. You need somebody who, like, s- like understands what it means to lead people. And I think, again, that's the only saving grace that Bomb like can have and, and will have as his journey goes forward is he doesn't just have to learn how to be somebody capable of taking down Jihad, but he's got to be somebody better than Jihad. He's got to learn how to be a leader and not just any leader, but he has to do more than Jihad did. Mm. And I think that's, you know, at least what I think, because like you said, yeah, if, if Yurik is, is, if Phantasm is the reason that Yurik came here or, or and if he's the person that Yurik is, is chasing after or looks up to and he didn't do anything, I, I, I would say it stands to reason that Europe's like, this ain't my gig. Like, this isn't just, you know, I, you know, we need these, like you said, we need an army. We need more people. Um.
0: <laughs> Time <Yeah. laughs> will tell, but I think that is the last question we have yeah. today. It is. Um, so that's it, folks. These are our thoughts. Uh, thank you again for the questions presented. And I'll say it again. Um, Ask questions, keep asking them, right? Because we have a part two to this. We were able to cover quite a bit of questions this time. And not all of these had the most upvotes. Some of them are just really interesting or by different people, etc. So if you want your question answered by us, you gotta ask it. So after our TOG streams, you can hit us up for that hour after the stream has concluded in the TOG question section of our Discord and ask your question and it might just show up on our next discussion. But until next time, folks, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we will catch you on the flip. Peace. Peace. Ninjas of samurais,
1: blazing the cool knives. Find me in the leaf of the cloud, screaming out Ban Kai. We did some ghouls, though. Who likes seeing pods fly?